Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is brought to our church by our worship pastor, Brian Self. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. How many of you have been either a person that was begging for something or the recipient of begging? For instance, uh, Pastor Rob thought I wasn't worthy of showing this because I don't care as much for dogs, but who could say no to a face like that? <laughs> Many of us would know the phrase puppy eyes of when uh, someone is just really begging, really pleading. They really want something from you. Uh, my son uh, is a notorious beggar. I wish I had a video of the specific thing I'm talking about. Uh, but, you know, as, as people do sometimes, I'll, I'll play games. I'll play games with friends. And, and uh, my son in particular really likes it when I play uh, some video games. Because, you know, there's, there's, there's fast lights. It's, it's really fun for a baby. Uh, and he just likes to sit on my lap and I'll play. And sometimes he'll, he'll try and play. And I go, no, I'm playing. You can have your time later. Uh, but I, I decided to include a picture of him just so you know who I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, he's very, very good at just begging. And uh, many of us would, would uh, be familiar with maybe kids asking, oh, can I please go to my friend's house? Could I go out to the mall with them? Uh, begging is something that we're all very familiar with. But in this passage of Scripture... Uh, there is a very unique element to this story that has to do with begging, with pleading, with asking. And I think if we'll allow God's word to to work in our hearts, uh, we'll come away from today both encouraged and challenged and motivated. So let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into the message for this morning. Dear God, we want to thank you for, uh, Lord, being so good to us. Uh, God, that you have saved us, you've redeemed us, you've bought us back, you've made us part of your family. And Lord, we ask as we dive into your word this morning that we would realize the great importance then uh, is placed on everything that we do. That God, we are your children, we are your ambassadors. And so God, we have a purpose that goes far beyond anything that we could imagine. So God, we ask that you would help us this morning. Please be with me as I preach, and uh, God, we ask that our hearts would be receptive to your word. We love you, and pray all this in your name. Amen. So we are in Mark 5, and Mark 5 uh, introduces Jesus in his second year of public ministry. And uh, if you've done much study, maybe chronologically through Jesus's ministry, this was the year that everything kind of started to go downhill a little bit. Uh, In particular, because of the many miracles that Jesus was doing, because he was going counter to uh, what the Pharisees had been teaching, they had begun to uh, really plot to kill him. Uh, Miracles were taking place even despite this. And Israel as kind of a collective whole, so the government, the religious sectors had rejected Jesus. And you can see a lot of that in Mark chapter 4, 
where even the Pharisees, because of some of the condemnations that Jesus was saying of, hey, you're not following God. You're trying to set up your own righteousness. You're trying to lord all of these things over other people, but you don't care about people. And because of some of those words, the Pharisees began plotting to kill him. So, Mark 5, they get in a boat at the Sea of Galilee, and uh, they head over to an area called the Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis was a region of 10 cities that were mostly Greek, Roman in nature, Even though it was right next to Israel, there wasn't a large Jewish population in this area. And because of that, uh, there was a strong pushback from the Jews against going to these areas. Uh, They didn't have all of the same dietary laws that uh, the Jewish areas would have. Uh, They didn't have the Torah as uh, would be required for worshiping the Lord. And so this was kind of an area that if you were a Jew you didn't want to go to. And uh, we'll see a few more elements of that going forward. But Jesus takes his disciples and they head across the Sea of Galilee and they come over into these shores. Now, I want you guys to realize the severity, the seriousness of what was happening here. For the disciples, uh, as we know, as we've read through the scriptures, they weren't Uh, perfect people. They had some flaws. And just a couple chapters previous, they were the ones that got Jesus in trouble with the Pharisees because they were picking corn on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees said, you can't do that. So the, the disciples weren't perfect, but they were heading to an area that they really weren't normally supposed to go to. It was kind of one of those, if only dad knew we were here type situations. It wasn't good. And as we read through the passage, and there's parallel passages in both Matthew 8 and Luke chapter 8, uh, we read of no portion of this where the disciples actually get out onto the land. Instead, this is really the story of Jesus. Now, I have to let you know the two miracles that happened just prior to this. Two miracles prior, Jesus casts out a demon and the Pharisees say, okay, he only has control over the demons because he's a demon or a demon has him. And they basically reject him and they say, okay, what Jesus is doing is not of God. It's not good. It's not holy. It's demonic in nature. And so this was really a serious offense to God. It is calling what is holy, Jesus himself, unholy. And then on the way over the Sea of Galilee was the great storm that happened that even the seasoned fishermen of Peter, James, and John were scared. Now, uh, Leo, I'm, I'm, I don't know a lot about boats. If you're maybe a fisherman and you fish from boats, can you raise your hand real quick? Okay, got a very few. How many of you fish but not in boats? Okay, a few more there. Uh, I don't know a lot about boats. I probably know a little bit less even about fishing successfully. Uh, Mike, Mike's told me a couple of uh, his fishing stories, and uh, you, should, you should ask Mike about some of his fishing stories. It's pretty great. Uh, I have one in particular, but I don't, I don't want to ruin the story for the rest of you. So ask him after. 
I don't know a lot about fishing. And so if I was on the Sea of Galilee and a storm came up, even if it was a little storm, if it was a rainstorm, I might get nervous. These men had been fishing on this sea all of their life. But even they were scared. They were terrified. They were so scared that they went and woke Jesus up. These weren't little kids running because of maybe a a thing of thunder to their mom and dad. These were grown men who had grown up on these seas going, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? Don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus comes out and stills the storm, the waves, all of it. And the disciples are scared, they're nervous. They say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him? So they've just seen some incredible displays of power by Jesus over the demonic, over even the weather itself. But something else comes beginning in verse number one. We see the maniac. Says, and they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no man could bind him. No, not with chains because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And I want you to notice in these verses that this is exactly what Satan would love to do with every person. That every person would be alone. That they would be destitute. That they would be without the benefits of God's goodness, of food and shelter. Uh, This is what Satan would love to do to people, that they would be cutting themselves, that they would be constantly crying and in sadness and in heartache, demon-possessed. And I want you to get the picture of what's happening here. So the disciples, Jesus, they're heading over to this land that they're not normally supposed to go to or be in. And all of a sudden, As they're just getting to the shore, Jesus gets out of the boat and a, uh, I've heard it described before, a nude dude in a crude mood comes running out of the tombs at Jesus. Um, You know, if... uh, if someone comes running up at me, if, you know, if Robert, I'm working, you know, on a, on a day and Robert comes up at me and he runs at me, I'm going to be a little bit nervous. You go, okay, what's going to happen? How much more this man that would have been mangled and cut all over his body, the, the scripture specifies that he had demonic, incredible, supernatural strength. This would have been a horrifying sight to see. Luke chapter 8 specifies that he was a man of the city, that he had at one point lived in the city and had a house, but did not live in the city anymore. Matthew 8 also gives the mention that there was another less notable demon-possessed man that was with him, but who was less integral to the story. Mark's one of those guys in his account of the Gospels that he's just right to the point with everything. He says, okay, whatever else could have happened, 
This is the important part that I want you to know about. That's why Mark's uh, gospel is shorter than any of the other three gospels. Uh, But he gets right to the point here. And he says, hey, here's this man, demonic, crazed. No one can bind him. Uh, I think of the word tamed here uh, in the very end of this verse. Chains have been plucked asunder by him, fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. Many of us would know you would use the word tame to speak of an animal. And that was the kind of mental and physical state that this poor man was in. So we see the maniac in verses 1 through 5. But then we see in verses 6 through 13, the legion. It says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. What I find so interesting here is that the demons instantly realized what the Jews had not. What the Pharisees had completely passed over, even though they knew the law, they knew all of the laws that they added to the law, they didn't realize Jesus was the Son of God. But the demons realized. And I love that they know what Jesus' mission is. Notice there it says, Son of the Most High God. They knew who he was from. They knew what his mission was for, that he was there to carry out the will of the Father. And because they were, he was come to carry out the will of the Father, you can see their, their plea, their request, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Uh, aren't you thankful that evil is not going to be around forever? We sang about the fact that uh, Jesus lives, that death may die. And that includes the devil, all of his demons, every single thing of pain and heartache that we ever feel, it's coming to an end. And these demons know that. They say, I adjure thee by God. It's, uh, that one's even maybe a little bit stronger than the word begging earlier. It's, it's almost like to make to swear in court, like, please Pretty please, they're trying their best. I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For because Jesus had said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Aren't you glad that Jesus has power over everything? There is no circumstance There is no heartbreak. There is no enemy. There is no difficulty that you will ever go through that God is not more powerful than. And as we can see in this passage, even though it it was difficult, it was hurtful for the demons, Jesus was working all things for the good of this man. And he asked him, what is thy name? He's asking the demon's name. And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. A couple things to note here. Obviously, you can see there, my name is Legion, for we are many. So this was a man that was possessed by multiple demons. Now, a legion is a Roman unit of uh, military measurement. Uh, And in particular, it was 6,000 soldiers. 
So this was, you know, maybe a pretty grandiose claim by the demons. Either they're trying to make themselves appear more impressive than they truly were, or this man was indeed filled with an entire military troop of demons. The other thing that's interesting about the fact that he says, my name is Legion, is that there was a Roman garrison of soldiers that was stationed in this area at that time. And uh, it was the Legion Fratensis. And uh, this was their actual emblem. It was their logo. It was the thing that they would put on banners and on flags. And uh, you might notice there a wild boar. Pay attention. That's going to be important here in a second. So he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now, if you'll notice, at this point, the demons have asked two things of Jesus. Uh, They said, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And they said, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And in both of these cases, Jesus has answered that request. It says, now there was nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Now, just like in the graphic that we just saw, these would have been boar. And this would provide a lot of meat. And uh, this was both a source of great economic uh, worth to the area. Uh, The number is given here a little bit lower, about uh, 2,000 boar. And uh, any of you that have worked with any sort of livestock would know if you have 2,000 of any individual animal, uh, there's been a lot of money that's gone into that, and there would be a lot of money that would come out of that. Uh, Also something of note here is that the Jews were not allowed to eat any sort of pig, bacon, swine, boar, any of that. And so these were uh, really something that went against the Mosaic law that he had given to the Israelites for their own health. And, uh, but these swine are there. And the demons besought him saying, now they're asking a third question of Jesus, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Uh, I think we can see here that sometimes you don't always get what you want. Uh, That the demon said, okay, uh, don't torment us. Don't uh, send us out of the country. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus says, okay, go into the pigs. And they ran down the hill and the swine were choked. Now, the interesting thing about this too is that uh, it's a little bit of a miracle that the swine died because uh, boars can swim which uh, was an interesting fact that I found out. You can see this little guy, happy as can be. But this legion of demons asks three questions of Jesus, and he answers every single question of theirs in the affirmative. This was really a triple show of power on Jesus's part. He had authority over the economy, that he had the authorization, he had the right to destroy this livestock. He had authority over the political that these boar were literally the emblem of the Roman garrison that was there. It would be something like if 
if someone killed 2,000 bald eagles here in America, it would be a very serious thing. It would almost be an affront. So Jesus had authority over the uh, economy, over the political realm, as well as the demonic, that he could command the demons to go and they would go, and over nature itself, that boars can normally swim, but these couldn't and didn't. So then we see in, four, in verses 14 through 17 the results of what has happened here. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. Uh, if I saw, you know, the crazy demon-possessed man that hangs out in the tombs, you know, I'd, I'd be a little bit freaked out. If all of those demons left, went into my pigs, and then the pigs all uh, committed suicide, I'd be a little weirded out. I, w- I would want to run away. I would want to flee too. And they told everyone. They told it in the city and in the country. And man, just as a small aside, if these people could tell everyone because they were so afraid of what happened, how much more should we tell others about Jesus? Not because we're afraid, but because of the great joy that it brings to us. This verse, and they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Doesn't that seem a little backwards to you? That normally if you saw someone standing unclothed and crazy, you would be afraid. But this was such a notable person that everyone knew about that when they saw him sitting and clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid. To those that aren't saved, the works and ways of God can often be frightening. They don't understand what's happening. Sometimes it might be to a family member that they don't understand why you would hold some of the truths from God's word the way that you do. Uh, For someone, it might be that they don't understand why the Bible says some of the things that it does, especially when it goes counter to what culture is saying. But realize that often when that happens, it's people aren't saved. They're not saved yet. They don't understand the great thing that God is doing. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. So the, the pig herders tell everyone, okay, you see all of this stuff that's happening and uh, it's all Jesus's fault. And in verse 17, it says, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. First off, the first thing I I thought of, and maybe this isn't as deep as it could be, but the first thing I thought of when I read this was tattletales? Come on, a great thing has just been done here, and you're going to whine to everyone about what Jesus did. But there's also a great sadness here, that instead of welcoming the one who had authority and power over everything, these people rejected him just as the Jews did in the chapter previous. And man, sometimes God will do things in our life that would bring loss, that would maybe bring some heartache, but realize that when he does it, he's doing it for our good and for his glory, that he is working all things together for good to them that love God 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. And these people, instead of going, okay, well, we shouldn't have been herding and, and feeding and keeping swine since it was against the Mosaic law. And instead of going, man, this man that was tormented for so long is now freed. Instead of thinking those thoughts, they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And as we'll see in verse number 18, he again listens to the request of these people, to the three requests from the devils and then hear from the townspeople. But then we see in verses 18 through 20, another request. Verse 18, it says, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Now, all of us would know we're here, you know, most every Sunday, and we hear pastor talking about being with Jesus, spending time in the word. And that's a great thing to do, and, and that's really what this man is asking. Up until this point, he had not been with Jesus. He, he didn't know anything about this new Messiah. But in verse number 19, it says this, Howbeit, Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. God will sometimes tell us no in answer to our requests, but it is always for our good, for his glory, and often to be able to tell others about him. Here, Jesus didn't just say, okay, you, you can't be with me, Good luck, have a great life. Instead, he gave him a mission. He says, hey, you can't be with me now, but you have a mission to go and tell people. And man, I think of us right now. We're, we're not in heaven yet. We're not with God, but he has given us a mission. He says, you can't be with me right now, but while you're here, you have a mission. You have a call, a commission to go and tell others about Jesus. And then I love verse number 20. It says, And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. The man could have been upset with Jesus and not obeyed. Said, okay, since you don't want me to be with you, I'm not going to tell anyone else about you. But... He chose to tell about what Jesus had done for him, not just in the nearby city of uh, Gergesa or in Gadara, but in all of the Decapolis. This was a large region, and it says that he began to publish in Decapolis. In multiple cities, this man would go and would say, hey, here's what Jesus did for me. He has power over the demonic. He has power over nature itself. He has made me new. And when I think about this man, there is a strong challenge to me of, am I living like Jesus came to me? Am I living just like I was before I was saved? Or am I living in a new walk with Jesus? 
You see, it can be easy to fall back on our natural man. As we've been going through 1 Corinthians, the carnal man. It can be easy to live that way. But this man's story had its greatest power and its greatest impact when there was the greatest difference between the man that he was and the man that Christ had made him. In your life, what are some ways that you could say, man, I used to do this, used to think this, used to say this, but God has made me new, and so I need to walk in recognition of my new life. See here the request. And there are four times in this short passage that one Greek word is used, and it's in these four verses. Verse 10, he besought him much. Verse 12, all the devils besought him. Verse 17, they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And in verse 18, he prayed him that he might be with him. That word there is the word parakaleo. It's to call to one side, to beg, to invite. Sammy, I'll have you come up here for a second. I've never gotten to use you as an illustration before, so I'll use you now. So parakaleo is to call to one side. So come here. It's, it's to beg. It's to invite. It's, hey, please come this way. It's, it's a great word. It, a version of this word is what's used of the Holy Spirit, that he is our comforter. He's the one that comes alongside. It is a very strong word. Thank you. You can be seen. It's a very strong word. And this is the word that's used these four times in this passage. But if you'll notice something that the devils besought Jesus much that he wouldn't send them out of the country. The devils besought him that he would send, him, send them into the pigs. The townspeople began to pray to Pericaleo to beg that Jesus would depart. There's only one of these prayer requests that wasn't answered. Wasn't answered with a yes. That was when the man prayed Jesus that he might be with him. The only person in this account that didn't get their prayer answered was the man that got saved. But there is a great reason for that. And it's just a couple chapters over, a couple pages over in your Bible in Mark 7 Verse 31, it says, And he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. So Jesus now, several months later, is coming back through this region. Remember again, this was an area that when Jesus left, there was one person that knew him as Messiah. One person. That one man that he had said no to in answer to a prayer request, but instead gave him a mission. It says, in those days, the multitude being very great, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days. A couple things to note here. Notice that it says, in those days, the multitude being very great. That that one man 
telling the story of what Jesus had done for him had caused an incredible number of people to be so interested in this Messiah that they had been with Jesus for three days. And I also just want quick side note. I love the fact that it says, Jesus now says he called his disciples unto him. The disciples aren't on the boat anymore. Instead, the testimony and the witness of the one man, the maniac of Gadara, the man that had been so far from God, because of his witness and because of the witness that he gave to the people around him, now the disciples aren't completely absent from the story. Now they're not in the boat. Instead, they are on land with Jesus in this great event. It says, So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left, seven baskets, and they that had eaten were about 4,000. When Jesus left, two chapters previous, one man. When Jesus comes back, 4,000. Many times we hurt when prayer requests aren't answered in the way that we would want. But it could just be that God is working out all things so that our testimony would be that much greater. That we couldn't have the testimony that we do without the testing that comes. Maybe the reason for our test is our testimony. It sounds trite, but that's a hard statement. The hardness of the statement is that it means I would need to give up my way for his. It's a very real moment of saying, Lord, you are in control. I'm not, and I'm okay with that. That takes humility. That takes surrender. It takes a commitment to then what Jesus has called us to do. That whether he says yes or no to our begging, to our request, to our pleading that he would come alongside of us, whatever happens, I'm going to accomplish the mission that he's given couple questions here and then we're done. Are we willing to give up our hopes for the gospel's sake? Are we willing to say, God, whether or not you bless me, whether you bring hard times my way, I'm going to continue. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to stay on mission for the gospel's sake. Because God didn't leave you here to just live your life and die and one day be with him. No, he has given you this life that you would glorify him and that you would bring others with you to know him. If you're still here, God still has witnessing for you to do. If you're here, God has a person that only your testimony, only your life could reach to its fullest capacity. God has a mission for you, are you willing to give up your hopes for the gospel's sake? Even more than that, are you willing to own the gospel this week? 
You see, part of the, the pull of this man's story is that he had to own, I was the demon-possessed man. I was the person that they tried to bind me and I broke out or refused to wear any clothes. I lived in the tombs and in the mountains. I cut myself. He had to own his past in order for his testimony to have the power. He had to say, I was this man so that he could say, but Jesus, are you willing to own the gospel this week? You don't have to put on a facade in order to witness to other people. You don't have to put on a facade as a Christian. God saved you knowing exactly who you are, exactly where you would go, where you were, all of it. God knows but he wants you to use that knowledge, to use that past, not to wallow in it, not to glorify it, but to say, hey, God can change you just like he changed me. God can provide you hope, and I know because he's given me hope. Lastly, are you willing to own the gospel this month in missions? At the back, and then maybe many of you might have been handed one, we have our faith missions giving this month. There are people all around the world that don't know Jesus as Savior, that one man, one family have said, we're going to go to China. We're going to go to Romania. We're going to go to Wenatchee. And these have said, hey, we're just one family, but we believe that God can make an impact through one. We see it in the story. This month as we're praying and, and preparing to hand these in at the, at the end of the month, ask God, hey, Lord, what would you have me to do for missions this year? It's a simple way that we can be involved in helping the one to be able to reach their mission field, that we can help the maniac to be able to reach the Decapolis, the 10 cities. But are you willing to own it? That it would be something you'd be intentional in and that you would say, I'm going to be serious about this. 4,000 people didn't come to uh, where Jesus and the disciples were and 4,000 weren't fed because the man did it kind of haphazardly, that he told people about Jesus every great once in a while. It was something that was serious to him. It was important to him, and so he made it a priority. Is the gospel going to be a priority in our lives this week? Is it going to be a priority in our money, in our finances this month? Maybe you are here and you'd say, okay, I, I get a lot of what's being said, but I don't know Jesus as my Savior. You, you talk about the man being healed, about being rescued, and I don't know that. The Bible says that we're all born sinners, all of us. Uh, my parents are here, and they would tell you, my, my son just like me, did not need to be uh, taught how to sin in any way. He came by it very naturally. And that's all of us. We're all sinners. 
But sin, unrighteousness, has a punishment. It has a sentence. And just as any just, good judge would sentence people to whatever their crime entailed, our sins have meant that we are sentenced not only to death, but the Bible says to hell forever. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, wouldn't die, wouldn't go to hell, but have everlasting life. Jesus was able to do that because he was the perfect son of God. He came down, he was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life on this earth. He was killed, put on a cross for my sins and for yours. You see, if the justice of God was to be satisfied, if he's truly good, then sin would have to have a penalty paid. And Jesus took that penalty in full. And so because of that, when he died, he rose again three days later. He's not the God of just the dead, but he's the God of the living. And he gives a call to each and every one of us. And that call is summarized in Romans 10. It says, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. It says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If this man in this story could accept Jesus, if he could say, I'm going to follow him, a man that was demon-possessed, a man that was violent, a man that by the world standards should have been written off completely. If he can be saved, any one of us can be saved. And if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, then I'd encourage you today to talk to myself, Pastor Rob, or maybe someone right there by you, and we would love to tell you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to have a time of invitation where we would invite you to talk to the Lord. Maybe there in your seat, maybe you'd come forward here and, and pray. But what has God spoken to you about? Maybe it's that you need to own the gospel in, in your own life. Maybe you'd say, I, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. If, if you don't know that heaven would be your home, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, we'd love to talk with you about that. Maybe it'd be that you'd say, God, I, I need to tell others about you. I need to tell just the people around me about you. Whatever it is that God's spoken to you about, talk with him this morning. Thank you for listening to this message. It's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.